Can We Meet in Nashville? The eighth annual Raise Fundraising Conference hosted by One Cause will be held at the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee on September 9th and 10th. Now, when you go to register, don't forget to use the code MISSIONS200 to receive $200 off your registration. You can click the link in the show notes to register. But what is this event all about? Man, it is 700 nonprofit professionals coming together for two days of learning and networking. You have the opportunity to choose from four different education tracks that will feature 30 total interactive sessions. I am so excited to be one of them. Also around some of my favorite people and today's top nonprofit thought leaders. And you don't want to miss, and I don't want to miss, the Fearless Fundraiser Party just for raise guests being held at Garth Brooks' new Friends in Low Places venue. So don't forget the discount. Use code MISSIONS200 to receive $200 off registration. Click the link in show notes, and maybe I'll see you there for some good Garth Brooks karaoke. I don't know about you, but in nearly every report these days that comes out, we keep hearing about how nonprofits are seeing a downward trend in individual donations. But do not be discouraged. Recurring giving is on the rise. Join me and Floyd Jones for a free Give Butter webinar on Wednesday, June 12th, all about how you can catapult your monthly donor program into long-term success. Now head on over to givebutter.com backslash movements to sign up for the webinar. And I will also link that below in the show notes. I cannot wait to share with you how you can build a donor acquisition plan that generates passionate recurring donations. I will share with you five steps to build a successful monthly donor program, some unconventional but proven to be effective donor acquisition and retention strategies, and how to do a little self-audit of your existing platform. So say goodbye to those low donor retention numbers and hello to new amazing recurring donations. So just takes a second to claim your free spot for the webinar, your monthly giving mastermind, build, grow, and sustain recurring donations. Again, head on over to givebutter.com backslash movements and sign up for the webinar today. About 75% of all of the clients that come to us are from our Facebook ad funnel. I'm on average spending $1,000 to acquire a new client. And we do a four-month minimum at $5,000 a month for our fee. So that's a 20K contract. And I am rinse and repeat for the last four years, $1,000 in, 20K out. This is how I've grown a multi-million dollar agency with high quality, amazing fit clients who are awesome, who are coming from my ads. Hey there, you're listening to the Missions to Movements podcast, and I'm your host, Dana Snyder, digital strategist for nonprofits and founder and CEO of Positive Equation. This show highlights the digital strategies of organizations making a positive impact in the world. Ready to learn the latest trends, actionable tips, and the real stories from behind the feed? Let's transform your mission into a movement. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Missions to Movements. Today, we have a guest that is a fan of something that I also love, and that is Facebook and Instagram ads. And you might be like, ooh, what? 
Jennifer and I are going to be chatting about a very unique and maybe not so unique after we chat about it, but case study. And that I think is going to blow your minds. Jennifer Spivak is the CEO and founder of The Ad Girls, a female-focused Facebook and Instagram advertising agency. Love this next line of your bio. Named a top Facebook ads manager to watch and called, in quotes, the conversion queen by Forbes. Okay, let's go. Let's bring (laughs) Jennifer in to the show. I also want to note 60 million in revenue for your clients via Facebook ads. Yes. Hashtag Beyonce bow down arms (laughs) are going up over here. Jennifer, how did you get into the wild world of ads? And then part B, decide to start your own shop. Well, honestly, I went to school for marketing. I graduated college in 2011. And basically what happened if you had any sort of marketing skill set in 2011 and like the heyday of social media, they were like, you're young, you're a kid, you know, social media, go. And so it was sort of getting pushed in that direction. It was like a little bit of graduated. I'm December 2010. Same. same Yeah. Right. And so I was May of 2011, like right there. And so it was a very interesting time where you were that age and they were like, great, all these opportunities. You guys know stuff that we don't know. Yes. And so it just sort of happened. But in the first couple of years of being in that like, quote unquote, social media space, ads started to become a thing. And I just realized that I felt a lot more in integrity selling something that I could really connect to a financial return versus everything before ads came onto the scene with social media, which was like engagement and audience building. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, by the way. It all has a place. But I just loved the idea of being able to say, we're going to do this thing. And it's going to make you this amount of money and we can directly track and see. And that just felt so much cooler to me (laughs) than just you'll get more Facebook likes. So that was a little bit of like the journey to ads specifically. And then second question was like, why did I decide to do it on my own or how did I get there? Why did you decide to start your shop? I mean, entrepreneurship has felt like the thing for me since I was literally a child. I was always like scheming and doing these weird things like putting on carnivals in my backyard and like selling candy around the neighborhood. Did you also love doing the, that's going to make me sound horrible not knowing what they're called, the trifle or it's like the first copy and then the yellow copy and then the third copy. It's like three Oh my gosh. What are those called? Like the piece of the, the paper. It's like the paper that you'd write receipts yeah. on back in the day and you would tear yes. out the middle and give it to somebody. I loved <laughs> playing with my parents thing of that. Oh my God. That's so funny. So my obsession when I was little was just a clipboard. Like if you went anywhere with a clipboard, obviously you were like really cool and really important. And I just felt like that's what I wanted. So I would like be at my backyard carnival, like with a clipboard, like signing people in. So, <laughs> you know, different, but, but the same, I can see that. Yeah. yeah clipboards was, was definitely my thing. So, I, I mean, I always knew that I was going to go out on my own. That was sort of really, really clear to me. My sort of first like job out of college was actually partnering with this guy that was building his own agency. And he really brought me on from the beginning as somebody who he would eventually train to like take over and run the company while he went back to school to get his MBA. So even though it was like, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. a job, obviously, it was still very entrepreneurial. And so kind of like what I always say is I got to play entrepreneur with someone else's money. Like I had a salary, but I was really figuring out how to grow this agency from the ground up. And 
it reached a certain point where I kind of looked around and this was like in 2014. So I'm like three years into my career. I looked around and I was like, man, this has become like such a boys club. Mm. And I just felt like, and I have so much respect by the way, for this company and the guy that was my business partner at the time, like they're amazing. But I started to feel like, ooh, like working earlier and earlier and longer hours is like being really glorified here. And I just was starting to notice things I that- I think it was also that time. I very much felt that too when I lived yeah. in the city. I think that was like a- lifestyle back then. Yeah. And I was like starting to get into the world of like, I don't know, more like energetic stuff and money mindset and like all these things. And I was like, hmm, like, let me kill myself and work as hard as possible. And that this is the way doesn't necessarily feel right. And like, honestly, I built this agency, like I know how to do this. And so I just like had this moment where I was like, yeah, I'm going to go take everything I've learned. I feel like I already made all of the mistakes with someone else's money, essentially, I'm going to go out and and start something. It's awesome. That's the best way to learn. And so what year did you create your agency? So it was the end of 2014. It was like November 2014. So this is like, we're coming up on year 10. We just passed nine years, which is insane. And, you know, for many, many years in the beginning, I really was just more of a freelancer. I actually, having come from that experience of the previous agency, felt really sure that I didn't want to build an agency. I didn't Mm. want to manage people. Like I had all of these ideas of things that I didn't want to do. I'm a little bit of like a marketing purist. Like I love marketing genuinely. And I didn't want my job to not be marketing and just like managing people. And so I felt really strongly about that for a while. But I just got to this point where I had so many clients and I was making great money, but like I mean, I was working 24-7 and I was like, okay, this isn't the vibe either. (laughs) (laughs) And so slowly started hiring people. And then all of a sudden I was like, hey, wait a minute. I don't (laughs) think an agency is that bad. Like if I do it my way. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You have the ability to structure it in the way that you want. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Well, and I think what's interesting is if you've been working in this ad space for nearly a decade, Oh my goodness, how there have been so many changes in what's worked, what hasn't worked, everything with iOS, of course. Is there a formula that you tend to see working best in this moment of Q1 of 2024? Yeah, I mean, the formula is have really good freaking messaging. Mm. Like that's the formula, honestly. You know, it's so funny. I feel like the types of questions people always want to ask me are like, what's the best way to target my audience? And like, is image or video better? And and I'm like, all the questions that you're asking are wrong. (laughs) Like, honestly, have a good offer. Yes. Clearly, we don't give nearly enough attention to that. And then on top of that, know how to communicate that offer in a way that actually means something to the audience that you're going after. Like if we really focus on mastering those foundational pieces, Mm -hmm. then Facebook ads is really just a matter of, well, we're leveraging a platform where the world is. So we're getting in front of people with the foundational stuff that we know works. And then we just get to really optimize and perfect the numbers component of it so that the math, maths, basically. And that's it. Like, that's the secret, so to speak. No, and it's so on point. I mean, there's been so many conversations about go broad with your audiences, go super niche with your audiences. But honestly, none of it's going to work if your messaging is crap. 
Exactly. And, you know, like today, I do prefer broad audiences, but like that's a thing that ebbs and flows and also is different by account and is different by industry and which client we're working with. To me, if you're putting your energy on that, you are missing the thing that drives 75 to 80% of your success. Yes, of course, there are certain best practices. And of course, those can change over time. But if you master the best practices and you don't have the foundational pieces and you don't have great messaging and scroll stopping creative, mm-hmm. you can't win. If you yep. don't know the best practices and you have the foundational stuff, you actually could still be successful. And so it's just like prioritizing what should get the majority of your energy. Yes, absolutely. And I think today we're going to talk through a really interesting case study that happens to be around a high ticket offer, which I think a lot of times we're thinking about kind of what you started on the beginning is the awareness, which is great to use it for. I teach a grow your list program for organizations looking to build up their email list if it's feeling very stagnant and to grow some leads, which you can absolutely do. But I thought this was a very unique case study that I want to dive into with you on your client, Pia. Can you explain a little bit about her business and like what challenge she came to you with? Yes. So Pia, just like shout out to her because I love her. She's like a great human on top of being a really great client with a great, great offer. So basically, she has a program where she teaches, and this is like so specific, she teaches one to two person branding agencies. So like sort of like micro branding agencies, a very specific methodology on how to grow and scale to $30,000 months while still remaining like a micro at one to two people. So that's her offer. Super niche. Yeah, super niche. Really good offer. Really, really good value proposition. And, you know, she came to us and this is the case for so many of our clients, knowing I have an amazing offer. Mm -hmm. I know the work that we do. Like when we get clients, we kill it for them. Like all these testimonials, all these success stories. And yet we've tried multiple other agencies. We've tried to run ads ourselves and we can't get it to work for us. It just seems to bring in tire kickers and ads don't convert. And that Mm -hmm. is a conversation that I have Not that we only do high ticket, but that is a lot of the type of client that we work with. And I end up having that conversation with people when they come in quite a bit. And so that was where Pia was when we first started working together, which was, mm, I want to say maybe nine or 10 months ago, we're coming up on a year. Nice. I'm sure many listeners are shaking their head of, yes, I've hired people to do it before. Nothing has happened. What are we doing wrong? What's missing? What was when you did... I don't know if you do this, but like an audit or you peeked into her account. What were you seeing that was missing? What was off? The biggest thing that I remember was her creative, just like not being strong. I don't know if it was that she was doing this intentionally, but there's been this conversation of like, oh, you want to have ads that don't look like ads. And I don't, actually agree with that. Now, I do feel like there was a time and place for that a couple of years ago. But the problem is that like right now, what is working really, really well across so many of our clients' accounts are like big, bold text, really taking advantage of the real estate of the creative. I've seen that too. To write to say something. And so if that's what you're competing with, and then you're like, well, I don't want to look like I'm running an ad. And so here's just like a photo of me, like having fun, like sipping out of my mug. And it doesn't say anything. And you've got, again, the largest real estate of the ad unit not saying anything. And yeah. so that's sort of what I felt. Like there were just some pieces of creative, some ads that were running that were just photos of Pia. She's 
adorable, but again, wasn't saying anything, wasn't communicating anything. You know, one of her sort of front end offers was this blueprint guide. And so there was like a mock-up almost of like what the blueprint guide might look like as a book but with just like a plain colored background, like no context. And so that was the biggest thing. We've got this massive real estate of the ad unit and we're using it to say absolutely Mm. nothing. And you pointed out the audience is so niche, right? So this isn't going to be a play of let's find this perfectly layered target audience. We can't specifically target one to two person branding agencies. We just can't. And so instead, we do have to go into that branding agency space cast a little bit of a wider net inside of that and have the messaging and creative that very clearly call out and speak to in half a second who this is for and who it isn't. And so that was the biggest thing that was missing with her original ads. They just weren't doing that. They weren't and they weren't really using, I just think, as strong of messaging as they could, given how amazing her value proposition is and the work that she really does. Awesome. Okay. So I want to break this down in a little bit of like a reverse I want to go through the audience and like specifically talk about what you did do on the creative to change that. So I always like to start with where people can end up. So what was the purpose when she decided to do an ad campaign for this offer that she has? What was the concept of it was booking a call, right? Yes. So we are driving to a booked call. She does have a small but really powerful and effective sales team. And so it was getting people to book a call where they sell you into her high ticket offer. Okay. So are they being led to kind of like a sales landing page with like a button to book a Calendly calendar? Like I'm just trying to like visualize. Yes. So there's actually two entry points. So originally when Pia first came to us, if I remember correctly, she was mostly running traffic to this blueprint, right? It's this guide that walks through her methodology. It's basically like a free download. And then in the guide, in the follow-up email sequence, there's all of these calls to action to say, hey, you know, do you want more or less? Do you want help with this? Go ahead and book a call. And then they would go through something like a Calendly to book the call. And then her sales team has to close them. So that's one funnel that we've been running. Was that converting from the email standpoint? No. Okay. It really wasn't. I don't know if it was converting at all. I mean, again, part of what she felt like was happening was she wasn't even getting the right people in the door to begin with. And so people that were coming in and booking calls just like weren't the right quality, weren't really ready to invest. I want to say, I mean, again, she's like a smart businesswoman. So I'm sure like more maybe organically it was working. You know, it's not like it was doing nothing, but just ads specifically for that funnel were not quote unquote bringing in the right people, which was like the experience that she was having. Yep. Yep. Which can happen a lot of times. Okay. So then what did she end up switching to? So we actually are still running that, but we are fans of either like webinar or VSL to book a call. Not that that's the only option, but the thing is at the end of the day, when you are selling high ticket, there is definitely something to having FaceTime with the person that you're about to invest like quite a bit of money into in order to get people interested enough to book a call. And so video as a medium for whatever your first funnel touch point is, does tend to work. And so we were sort of guiding her to say, let's keep the blueprint because the content, I think some people do like downloadable guides and the content's like 
you're not really saying much of anything. That was not the case. Pia's content and they were so good and so strong that we were like, maybe with better messaging, we can optimize this. But we also feel really strongly that getting a VSL funnel going, which basically is right running traffic to sort of like a super mini training. So people are clicking on the ad about the mini training. They're getting to a landing page. They're putting in their name and email to opt in or sign up for that training. Then on the next page, they get to watch the training. And then there's an immediate call to action to go to book a call. So it's sort of just two different entry points. One is like, hey, sit with me for, I don't know, I want to say her training is like 20 minutes, 21 minutes. Very short. Sit with me. Yeah. Watch this video and then go book a call. And then the other entryway point is, hey, get this guide and then go book a call. Okay. Got it. What was the ad type for the campaigns ready? Those conversions? Yes. Okay. With the goal of booking the call or signing up for the webinar? What we are running now and have been running are always conversion campaigns. We don't really mess around with anything else unless we're doing like middle of funnel retargeting. So obviously we want to bring in quality people from the beginning and optimizing for conversion really helps with that. We are specifically optimizing for the webinar sign up or the download of the guide. Okay. We've tested for a couple of different clients and we'll always test like what if we actually optimize for the booking, like the thing at the end of the day. I find that sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. For this particular account, it has been most effective to continue optimizing for that sort of first like conversion event, if you will. Okay, gotcha. All right. So that's the type of campaign. Now we're looking for branding agencies, audience wise. Yes. And there's been lots of changes with interest based (laughs) targeting in the past year, past six months. What have you found as like, when you say broad, what does that mean? When somebody is saying and they're thinking about it, maybe they have nothing to do with branding, right? But what are you looking for when you're doing, you're creating that audience build? Yeah. So I think this is a great conversation because there's definitely conversation in like the online ad space where when people are talking about broad, they literally mean like setting an age range and a gender and nothing else. And that's not what we're talking about here. What I am saying is, we're not trying to layer. We're not saying, well, they have to like this as well as this and also this, and they have to have this income and also this, like that type of layering doesn't work the way that it used to, but we are still wanting to make sure that we're maximizing spend. So for example, like one of the interests that we have targeted is branding agency. Like that dumb. Yes. Like that is, that is one of the interests that we are targeting branding agency. And again, that's why that copy has to be so important because there are going to be some people in that audience that are actively looking for a branding agency to hire. Those are not our people. There are going to be people in that audience who, you know, have a branding agency, but it's much larger. And so that's where we're casting a wide net within the space of like, the general vicinity of where we want to go and then letting the messaging and the creative really do its work. I was looking at this morning in preparation, obviously for this recording. And like another one is like design. Oh, so broad. So those are different. You're saying you're doing comparisons on we're testing the branding agency. We're testing just the keyword design. Yes. Or like design and entrepreneurship. Okay. Yeah. Trying to find that mesh of the person. Okay. So those must, well, I would ask you, I guess, the size, are you looking for a particular range of audience size or does it not really matter? Yes and no. I mean, I definitely these days prefer something that's like two to five mil at like the bottom end in terms of size and then just up from there. But again, you know, if you are super niche, that wouldn't be the thing that I would put like a ton of focus on because 
you know, there isn't necessarily a 10 million person market for this to begin with. But loosely trying to, I mean, in general, this idea of having broader audiences that are at least like two to five mil, if not over 10 mil, tend to be more cost effective. Like following that only works if your copy and creative can do the job to still find the right people within that. Obviously, more cost effective reach doesn't really mean anything if the copy and creative isn't doing its job. But in general, that is going to be something that is going to make more sense for optimizing the spend that you have. Yes. Okay. So we've got our audiences. If we're thinking through budget and timeline, ideal range for doing initial tests. Yeah. So, I mean, the truth is we've been working with this client now. Again, I think we're coming up on a year and we're testing all the time. I mean, we just constantly are constantly refreshing things. We have found like, here's the way I always like to think about it. In the beginning, your testing lane is really wide. And over time, if you are doing testing properly and learning what's working and what's not, your testing lane can become more narrow. You're not trying to figure out what's the hook that people care about. You're like, oh, I know it's these three hooks. What are new, fresh ways that I could execute copy and creative around these concepts or hooks that we know to work? That's that testing lane becoming more narrowed. But constantly keeping things fresh and preventing ad fatigue, even sometimes just taking like, this is one of my favorite like little hacks, taking a piece of creative that's performing really well, but has shown a little bit of fatigue and just changing some of the colors. Like it just Mm. breathes new life into the thing that's already working. So we are constantly testing, but I do feel like it was really the first 30 to 45 days of okay, like, you know, we're starting at a blank slate. Ads has not been able to work successfully for this business before. What are the different levers we need to pull? Which is the right entry point of the two funnels? What's the right messaging that brings in the right high quality people? And then also, you know, tackling no show rate, which is a thing that comes up for a lot of people that are using ads to drive calls. So that whole process was optimized to an extent by like the 30 to 45 day mark where we were seeing consistent results. And from there, it's just been all right, now we need to maintain these results. And so how do we constantly keep things fresh to prevent that ad fatigue? Yes. And I want to put like an asterisk on ad fatigue. For those of you that aren't familiar, there is a metric called frequency within your metrics reporting. And you're able to see how many times has somebody seen this ad? What is your rule of thumb where if you are calling something ad fatigue, how much is too much? It's hard to say. I feel like for a cold audience, like once we're getting up to like five to seven, it's not that I'm like, turn it off, but I'm looking at house performance, mm-hmm. right? Because the thing is, if the ad continues to work and it has a high frequency and performance is still steady, then who cares? And so it's a combination of, okay, it's getting up to five to seven. I have my, I'm watching it to just see, are we seeing a dip in performance or not? Because if we start to see a dip, we would have an idea of why and want to, again, just keep things fresh with small tweaks and small changes so that the person who has already seen the ad seven to 10 times and hasn't clicked, if they see it again in a different execution, they're not immediately assuming, wait, I've seen this before. I'm not paying attention. We have like a new fresh chance to potentially get their attention. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that clarity on ad fatigue. So then, all right. So I'm breaking it down. I'm thinking about my ads manager account and going through the steps. All right. So now we've gone through that. What is your approximate budget when you're doing testing? Are you a lifetime budget spender or are you a per day spender? 
definitely per day. I do not like lifetime budgets at all for anything. Yeah, I'm just like don't ever use those. So definitely, <laughs> definitely per day. I mean, here's what I will say, because I think there's like a lot of different things we could talk about regarding what is the right budget for testing and what's the minimum or maximum you should spend. I don't know that there is one right answer. Like at my agency, we do have like a minimum monthly spend requirement of $5,000 a month. And that's by design that isn't like arbitrary. Basically what that means, right? We divide that by 30. That's about $166 a day. And we found that when factoring in a good amount of top of funnel cold audience testing and still wanting to have a little bit of budget for some middle of funnel or bottom of funnel retargeting, that that gives us enough wiggle room to go through a testing process and within 30, 45 days, get to a place in which we're seeing actual results and then be able to scale up from there. We have clients that come in with much higher budgets and we'll start higher, but somewhere around like 166, 200 a day, 150 a day. That's a reasonable amount to start with and be able to run through enough options and iterations in that first 30 days to really not just have said, well, I did testing, but to actually have gotten to the other side of like, oh, now I have an understanding truly of what is working and why and being able to continue to improve and iterate on those concepts that have been proven to work. So important. And I think a lot of times people give up before they reach that stage. Totally. And that's the problem. That golden nugget right there is you have to give time and testing to be able to validate what's going to work. So let's talk about this one. So let's continue on. What was the specific ad creatives that now that we've fast forwarded that you really saw working and what did those results look like? A lot of big, bold text, as we were talking about earlier. We definitely tested some video. I feel like a lot of our clients are like, video is working best, right? We should test that. <laughs> and again, test everything for sure. But video is not a big winner on this account for top of funnel cold audiences. One of our ads that we've been running for a really long time, and I'm sure you've seen this, is like a mock-up of like a notes app in someone's phone that yep. has like yes. a list of things that you're going to learn inside of the training. So like nothing super complex. Again, yep. it's knowing the hooks that people care about and big, bold, eye-catchy, scroll-stopping, still image creatives above all else. You know, this is like a slightly different topic, but we did a massive launch for another one of our clients several months ago where, you know, the spend was over half a million dollars in like a six-week period. So like, I mean, man, the amount of testing you're doing with that kind of spend in a six-week period. And so I feel like, wow, gave us such a good view into what's working, right? If you're really reaching that many users Mm -hmm. on Facebook and still images with big, bold text, repeatedly outperformed videos, GIFs, carousel ads, stories ads, all of it. Still wow. images, big, bold text. Now, granted, it's because we have the right hooks. We, mm-hmm. You can't just you know, have the still image, big, bold text without the right hooks. But that does seem to be tried and true. While obviously, there's always additional things you can add in. You execute a video well, of course, it can definitely work. But I love the simplicity of it. It's literally just like, hey, here's what this is. And people are like, great. That sounds cool. I would like that. Yes. And the messaging is so, so, so important. That Mm -hmm. hope that you're talking about and really focusing in on that copy. Okay. So then this continuously runs. So, I mean, the most important question that people are going to wonder is what is the ROI 
yes. of this ad. <laughs> and we're running multiple ads. I mean, I don't even know how many. I would have to go look in the ad account. So many ads because we're constantly, you know, again, testing a couple different variations at once across multiple different audiences. And we do still have the VSL funnel as well as the print downloadable guide. But overall, we are seeing pretty consistently around a 10x return on ad spend every single month. Now, I do want to just like be realistic here. Let's preface that amazing stat with this is a very, very high ticket offer. And so that is part of what contributes to that. Like to not acknowledge that is silly. If you're selling, you know, a $99 course, you cannot get a 10x return on ad spend, even if you have the best ads, the best messaging, the best ads manager. Like, I mean, not that it's impossible, nothing is, but that would be pretty challenging to do, right? With just like what it costs to run ads. So that is part of it. But we've been able to do that pretty consistently. And obviously, you know, week to week, there's definitely some fluctuation. But on average, now again, going on like eight, nine, or 10 months, we are seeing a pretty consistent 10x return on ad spend. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank Good you. job, Pia. Good job, team. <laughs> that's amazing. I think that's awesome. How did you end up, you were talking about a little bit before, there were some no-shows. Did you tweak that with messaging to get that to stop? Or the, did the webinar change on the back end? Yeah. So it was really two core things. I mean, look, I think like there's a little bit of first, we just have to accept that like we are, when you're launching ads on Facebook and Instagram, you are getting in front of the world the masses, right? And so like, there will just be, it's a little bit of like the nature of the beast from my perspective, there will be some no-shows. I would usually plan with most of my clients for 20% no-show rate. And if we're 20% or less, we're cool with that. If Once we get above 20%, that's when we start to say, this isn't as effective as possible for our spend. So first place we always look for dealing with no-shows is, do we have the right touch points after somebody books email sequences, retargeting ads, text messages, reminders to just logistically make sure that if somebody books and they are interested, that they are seeing those additional touch points. So that's one part of it. But also we've just been super, super involved. And this is like such a, just a very real time component of doing this where we are tracking the no-show rate in real time every single week, obviously in collaboration with PS sales team. So they're giving us constant feedback of, did this person show up? Even if they didn't close, like what was the quality of that lead? Like, were they the right person? And so if we're all of a sudden seeing a higher no-show rate in one particular week than is our norm, we can usually pinpoint it back to a specific ad or audience. And sometimes what we would find is like all of a sudden our cost per booked call would go down, which is a good thing, right? All of a sudden we're getting calls for cheaper, but had a higher no-show rate. And so Mm -hmm. we were able to then pinpoint Yeah, pinpoint that there was maybe a quality issue with that ad or audience and we would ultimately kill that. And so that's why the tracking that Facebook is going to allow you alone when you're doing high ticket book a call is only going to go so far. You can get a bunch of really cheap bookings, but if they are not the right people who are showing up and closing, then who cares? And so, you know, there's only so many decisions that we are able to make just based off of the pixel and pixel tracking, there's this qualitative piece as well. And being really, really involved with Pia and her sales team 
in real time so we could quickly identify, okay, the algorithm is now optimizing to get us more of those people because it thinks it's doing good because all it can track is how many bookings there are. We've got to like nip that in the bud immediately, kill that campaign, start something else over. And so just that high level of involvement with what was happening in real life. human element of it. Exactly, right? Like not just like we're in the ads manager and this is what the numbers say, but like really what was actually happening and just responding to that in real time has also been a big part of the success here. And I want to speak to this like high ticket offer component where we think that we can't find, and this could be, I do a lot in the nonprofit world. This could be a big donor that's going to come and this could be a board director that's going to come and this could be, you never know. And same thing with bigger price items. I had a very similar experience. I was running Facebook ads to a mastermind program of mine. At the time, it was a $6,000 offer and somebody cold came right through my ads. Yep. And crazy ROI return. I think I only ended up spending like, it was very low, a couple hundred bucks right, for a six. And you would be like, what? How? Yeah. But if you have, like you're saying, the right messaging, and I was doing different testing, I think I was a video at the time. Yeah. But it is definitely possible. Of course it's possible. I mean, again, I always challenge people where I'm like, where is this actually a little bit of a mindset issue? Let's be real. The world is on Facebook and Instagram. Like, it's like, can we all agree on that, right? Like, that's not really up for debate. Let's look at the numbers. Like, those are the platforms in which the world lives on. And so if that's true, if like the world is there, then what makes you think that this person who you've like put on a pedestal is like this so high and mighty above person that doesn't use social media? Like, that's not true. They're there. You just need the patience (laughs) and the right messaging and creative to call out to them. I mean, even in growing my agency, we, for the last four years, about 75% of all of the clients that come to us are from our Facebook ad funnel. I'm on average spending $1,000 to acquire a new client. And we do a four-month minimum at $5,000 a month for our fee. So that's a 20K contract. And I am rinse and repeat for the last four years, $1,000 in, 20K out. This is how I've grown a multi-million dollar agency with high quality, amazing fit clients who are awesome, who are coming from my ads. And by the way, it's like one ad, one audience that I've been running so lazily for like the last (laughs) several years, but it's good, clear messaging. And it gets in front of a lot of people. There's often like arguments in the comments thread on that ad of like, this really isn't for small businesses who can afford this. And like just all these people arguing, but like the right people are coming and booking and becoming a client. And so I welcome that social proof as it boosts my ad in the algorithm and gets me more of the dreamy clients I want to be working with. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, listeners, there's a place called the Ad Library. And if this ad exists, I'd love to see things to be able to put it in the show notes so people can see the actual visuals. If it's possible to share one of Pia's ads, what they look like from an ads manager link and or the one that you just described, for your own agency, it would be really interesting for people to be able to look and see what does a good hook mean? What is this big, bold ad or visuals look like? I think that would be fabulous to showcase. Yeah, totally. And by the way, if you go look, my very formal process of getting to the ads library every single time is I just Google meta ads library because I can never remember the damn link. So literally, (laughs) yeah. Google Meta Ad Library, something will open up. If you put in Jennifer Spivak, my full name, like that's the name of my page, you can easily go and see the ads that I'm running, which again, there's usually like two or three. And there you go. Yeah, they just work. 
But that's proof, right? Is you just have to find what works. Yep. Be patient to figure it out. And I think that is the hardest thing to do. Hardest thing to do. With that said, I want to go ahead and wrap with three final questions. Okay. Put you on the spot. Jennifer, if there's somebody in marketing that you think is killing it or an organization or a brand that should be on the show, who would it be? So, I mean, this would be like another, obviously, Facebook ads person, but I just feel like that's my world. Tara Zerker, I don't know if you follow her. She is just awesome. I think that she's so great. So she is really on the side of training business owners on how to run Facebook ads. We don't really do any training. We just do done for you. So anytime anyone's like, do you have any trainings I can buy? I'm like, no, go to Tara Zerker. She's just lovely and really smart. And yeah, really, you know, having a lot of, I think like very accessible offers for business owners who want to actually learn to run ads themselves. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. And my next grow your list challenge, I think is going to be, I haven't said March or April. So coming up soon, which I run it as a small cohort where I review the ad copy and the ad graphics and we build it all together. And it's a hundred guaranteed of a hundred new emails in seven days. Oh, that's a very good promise. Organizations crush it. I love it. Crush it. Awesome. Okay. So what is one thing that you would like to ask for help or support on? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, this is kind of random and vague, but I'll just put it out there because you never know. Like, (laughs) so I've been running my agency for a really long time. We are in such a like beautiful, healthy, stable place. So good. Get it, girl. Oh, it's so great. Like my team and just we're actually, I think, one client away from being full, like just straight up full. And so, yeah, really, really beautiful stuff happening over there after just like a lot of obviously like love and attention and time poured into it. And so with that, my like next endeavor that I want to start exploring is like acquiring other businesses. Super open blank slate, but open to to (laughs) whatever might come through in that area. So that's just something that I want to, you know, look into and start exploring this year and creating some additional revenue streams. Fun. Super fun. Okay. Yeah, listeners. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. And then finally, with that note, where can they connect with you to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. On Facebook or Instagram, I am Jen Spivak, Jen with two N's. If you want to learn about the agency, book a call, discuss actually working with us, we're going to be over at theadgirls.com. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much for the work that you do to empower female-owned businesses. And congratulations on a decade. That's incredible. I'm so old, but thank you so much. <laughs> Get out of here. You're saying you're old and I I'm know. Old, I'm like so. still, I'm obviously like still a baby, but it's just so yeah. weird. Like sometimes I think back, people will be like, how did you have the confidence to like start out in the beginning? And I'm like, that's a wonderful question. I don't know where I got the balls. I just went and did it. And like, now I'm here and like, man, looking back, like there's a whole thing that exists in the world, like a company that like employs 15 women that I made up. It's an interesting thing to think about often. I always like to say it comes from a little bit of being naive and not right. really knowing all of it and just starting and being like, I mean, I could do it, right? So yeah, just like an overabundance of misplaced confidence that I like <laughs> managed to channel towards something that actually worked. Yeah. See? A <laughs> little bit of luck, a little bit of faith, a little yes. bit of support, a well little said. bit of relationships and yeah, just a dose of confidence to make it all happen. Yep. Jennifer, you rock. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. It's been a blast talking with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. 
Can you tell I love talking all things digital? To make this show better, I'd be so grateful for your feedback. Leave a review, take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram stories, and tag Positive Equation with one E so I can reshare and connect with you.